Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. The text for the sermon this morning comes from the first reading from Acts chapter 2. But also we contemplate these words from Acts 2 in our liturgical setting today of John chapter 10 and the fourth Sunday of Easter. That this Sunday, the church remembers Jesus' picture as our good shepherd and that we are his sheep. So for us in our lives, we sin because we think there's a shortage, shortage of time. We think there's a shortage of, of money, and we worry. When we deal with each other, we deal with each other in a shortages of patience and love and kindness. But our Lord Jesus Christ doesn't deal with us according to shortages. He calls us to repent of our worry. He calls us to repent of all of our sins and to receive his unbound, abundant love that he's poured out for us. And so we hear from Acts 2 how the church lived in this abundance. Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. God's grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text we hear, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of the bread and the prayers, not out of scarcity, but out of abundance. Now, our reading from Acts picks up right where we left off from last week, when St. Peter preached a sermon and said, be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit. It was a promise, a guarantee. The abundance of God just flows, outpouring to the repentant hearts. We now see today in Acts, as we continue, evidence of the Holy Spirit working. What do we hear that the church did? After this wonderful event in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. The church was devoted to the holy things of God. Holy, of course, means the things set apart by God for a special reason, to do something for us. And so the church devoted themselves to gathering together. Of all the things they could have been doing, of all the distractions, of all the things that demanded their time because you know time is scarce. No, the church gathered together. Not for social reasons. Not to sit around and gossip and gripe about how bad the world is. How messed up the government is. No, they gathered around their Lord Jesus Christ and his means of grace. Did you hear that? The teaching of the apostles, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, the prayers. They gathered around their Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, because they knew he had an abundance of mercy. 
They knew they were tempted, and many times they did follow the world. Many times they did bow down to the God of time and scarcity of time. But they knew their Lord called them to gather around the holy things. If you've ever wondered why you hear about word and sacrament gathered together so often in the Lutheran church, today's reading from Acts begins to show you this. Word and sacrament, word and sacrament. Why do we hear this so much? Well, because of our reading today, this is how Christ gathers his church to himself. How he spans time and space, breaks all laws of physics, even calls us to believe contrary to what we believe is true in science. He gives to us out of his divine love, forgiveness and mercy. He doesn't force you to come to his house. He doesn't force you to gather together. You might even say he has an open door. Or, as we read today when Jesus teaches us, he does say he is a door. The reading from John chapter 10 today is in the midst of Jesus' teaching on how he's the good shepherd. Like a good shepherd, Jesus calls to, calls us. Calls us to come to the shepherd where we find protection. And he doesn't just, he doesn't just say, okay, all you sheep, come here. He calls us by name. He doesn't whip us up into frenzy. He doesn't whip us into submission. He doesn't tie a noose around us and drag us along. He doesn't trick us into following him with some pointless flattery or empty promises. The way into the sheepfold of our good shepherd is through him. Faith and trust in his promises. These are more important than anything else in our world that bribes you with the threat of scarcity. That our good shepherd is abundant in his love for us in his fold, in his sheep pen. And so we see the disciples in Acts, we see them stressing and doing that very thing, gathering around word and sacrament, because those are our greatest treasures. They are our greatest treasures because they give us Jesus. They give us promises to believe. I forgive you all your sins. This is my body. This is my blood. First, we see in, in this list, in Acts 2, what the apostles saw as their treasure. Where does their Lord come in abundance? First, they devoted themselves to teachings. You need to know what you believe. You need to be ready to confess it. You need to be ready to die for it. This teachings we call doctrine. That's all that this word means, teaching and doctrine. It wasn't just any teaching the apostles gathered around. They didn't just say, hey, uh, this is a teaching of Paul, this is a teaching of Peter. No, we hear they gathered around the apostles' teaching and doctrine about who Christ Jesus is and what he's done. 
And notice, there is agreement on what they believe. Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They weren't just paying lip service to the gospel. They weren't saying, oh, well, let's agree to disagree. But they found unity in a confession of who Jesus is. And that gave them and brought them the abundance of Christ Jesus. In their confession of Jesus, there is fellowship. And another thing that kind of goes around with word and sacrament in the Lutheran church is perhaps another sacrament we call potluck, right? Even as we gather together, word, sacrament, and potluck. But the fellowship of the apostles where they were gathered together, this wasn't potluck fellowship. It wasn't come all and just dump in. It was a confession of Jesus that brings true fellowship true unity with Christ as the door. This is the way to the fellowship in Christ, confessing who he is. What he's come to do for us. And next, what what do we hear they did next? What did this lead to? The common confession of Christ then leads to a celebration of the sacrament, the breaking of the bread together. This, of course, the sacrament of the altar. The church gathered around the sacrament because that's how Jesus is with us now. The door into the sheepfold is Jesus. We believe his words. This is my body. This is my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. There's no limit on his mercy. He is forgiving and kind. But he is a door. And the door into the sheepfold is is Jesus and believing what he says. But for those who don't believe him, for those who, who say, no, this can't be his body and blood, baptism can't do anything real. To those who say and call Jesus a liar, he is a closed door. He's not an open door for whatever you want to believe. He's a closed door because This is the only way to find him and what he teaches us. But those who believe, who believe and confess his words, he is an open door of comfort for the conscience. And who of us doesn't many times have a troubled conscience because of all the things around us that are not in abundance but in scarcity? Scarcity of friends, scarcity of time, scarcity of money. Our good shepherd brings us comfort to strengthen us, to show us that he is the true shepherd. He's not a dictator. He is not some worldly ruler that demands of us. Now, I'm going to take a step here. And I'm pausing a little bit so that you can perhaps follow me a little bit. Because as I'm jumping from John 10, I want us to now consider further what we read in the Acts 2 lesson. We have this passage then. The disciples then, after fellowship, breaking of the bread, what did they do? We read, the disciples had everything in common. Now, many people look at this verse and they believe it teaches and promotes 
the political idea philosophy of communism. They say, hey, look, in the Bible, the church is communist, that they all had everything in common. Well, as we walk through this, I want to point out a couple things to you that this is not true. And don't let anybody convince you that it is. Anyone can see from this passage that the Bible does not support any form of communism or government in particular, but how the church sees one another by the working of the Holy Spirit. When we are brought through the door of Jesus, we see everything we have as a gift, not out of scarcity, but the abundance of Christ. The pasture and the sheep pen of our Lord Jesus Christ is a pen of abundance of green grass and still waters, as we read from Psalm 23. He has a table set before us, even in the presence of our enemies who might threaten to take everything from us. Even as our brothers and sisters in the faith have been threatened by communist regimes to take their life if they don't turn away from Christ, even in the face of that, Christ promises us abundance. Even when we're surrounded by our enemies, our Lord prepares a table. Now, one might be tempted to think, indeed, when they hear everything in common, there is a leaning toward communism. First, though, we must understand in this reading, you notice there was no forced sharing. There was nobody standing over the Christian church saying, you must do this. It was all by the work of the Holy Spirit. They gave generously because there were people among them who were in need. This is the first difference between the Christian faith and communism. Communism is not about sharing, but about forced surrender of one's goods and services. Even there's a force, an enforcement of repossessing, redistributing goods. Why? Because it, it moves from a foundation of scarcity. There's not enough, they say. God has shortchanged us, the communists would say. You can't trust God to take care of you, but you can trust the state. We will succeed where God has failed. The main problem with seeing today's reading as support for communism in the church is that the church gathered willingly together. And they willingly, without being commanded, gave out of love and the abundance that they believed they had. There was no forced coercion, or there was no coercion. Each person freely gave, and we still have that today. Next, each person was freely part of the church. There's no forced membership in the Christian church like there is when communism takes over a country. When communism reigns, you are not free to leave. I heard it, a, a wise quip one day that said, you can vote yourself into communism, but you have to shoot your way out. In fact, most communist governments build walls or fences to keep their citizens in the country. They may claim you're free to leave, but you will lose your life in the process. 
There's no forced membership in the Christian church. I've heard some people mistakenly say that family life is a form of communism. I've heard radio commentators say this, and I think they're wrong. They say, well, everyone in the family contributes for the good of the family. You can't pick your family. You can't leave your family. You're always a son or a daughter. You have that by birth. But I don't think it's quite true because the motivating factor in families is not the good of the family, but love and faithfulness to our good shepherd. And what does he teach us our roles are in the family? Now, perhaps you could say there are some shared characteristics between the family structure and communism, but ultimately the difference is is that communism is not based on love. There is no love in communism. Nothing is done out of love, but out of covetousness and theft. Communism thrives on coveting the desire for what belongs to someone else. The family is based first and foremost on the love of Christ Jesus. So don't fall for this trap that the family is some form of communism. It's not. At its most basic level, family is is based on the love of Christ Jesus and his abundance, not scarcity. Your family should have more in common with the life of the Christian church than communism. Because what are we told in the scriptures? If you have not love, you have nothing. So what did love look like in this church? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of the bread and prayers. There was no coveting, but only a desire to be devoted to the apostles' teachings the word of God. The church did not covet, but desired to have that which God gives, that which God gives of himself freely in his word and sacrament. Finally, the church is set apart because the church is not ruled by worldly rulers, but Christ himself. Christ Jesus calls you to himself, not because he's going to redistribute, but because he wants to take your sins from you. He wants to take your your sins where you feared scarcity, where you have maybe even coveted, where even today as we gather as a church to do our business as a congregation, when when we disagree or have arguments out of scarcity, but not abundance. Our Lord Christ Jesus calls you to himself to confess. Because his mercy never runs out. His forgiveness is always there for us as a church, and that's where we should be gathered around first and foremost. That is what the church gathers around and gives to each other. The forgiveness of sins found in Jesus' love. That Christ Jesus, who is himself the door, he's called you by name. So says Jesus, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The good shepherd doesn't manipulate. 
He doesn't deceive you. You're not a Christian because he tricked you with some sort of bait and switch, but he brought you into his kingdom, baptizing you into his name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're not an anonymous lump of wool that he is just feeding you and growing you so that he can come and shear you and then even perhaps serve you as a nice meal. He's not here to make a profit off you. Christ Jesus doesn't just call you an anonymous lump of wool. You aren't just blended in with all the rest. He knows you. He knows your struggles. He's died for you, and he's promised to deliver you. Even though we've been motivated by scarcity, even though you doubt and perhaps have even rebelled against your shepherd, he calls you back to say, I will forgive you. Even though we've been tempted, our Lord Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, was in the wilderness tempted, yet he says, I stayed faithful to you so that I can forgive you. He's gone before you to the grave. The shepherd has laid down his life for the sheep. But here's the thing. He came back from the dead. So he says to you, Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil, for I am with you. I will comfort you. I will raise you up. That's what the good shepherd does. He's gone before you in life and death and resurrection. He's been to hell and back for you. He's ascended into heaven and now he calls you to gather around his word, to be in fellowship with one another, to gather around his supper where he feeds you and says, I have come so that you may have life and have it from scarcity. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. He gives you his grace abundantly. He forgives you more sins than you could possibly commit because he doesn't give out of scarcity, but out of his abundant mercy. Alleluia, Christ is risen.